Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Well, if you were with us last week, you know that we kicked off a leadership series. And it comes from this heart of Ephesians 4, where in Ephesians 4, it says that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, who are the saints? It's all of you. Look around and say, you're a saint. You are a saint today, okay? It's it's, it's equipping us and encouraging us. We're doing that as a team. We're doing that as a staff. We're doing that with all of our leaders, and we're inviting people uh, to leadership. And so to align ourselves with that and to move this initiative forward, we're in this leadership series where we're looking at the Old Testament, and we're looking at uh, some of my favorite leaders that God has called. And uh, when we look at this, there's no way that I could do a leadership series without looking at the life of Joseph. Have you heard of Joseph before? Right, Joseph, right, coming through. And when you look at the book of Genesis, Joseph occupies more space in the book of Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible, than any other character in that, in that, in that, in that book. More than Abraham, more than Noah, you know, more than his dad, more than anybody, Joseph occupies this. And I think one of the things that I love about when I look at the life of Joseph and the reason why it's so predominant is because his life, it illustrates God's faithfulness in the midst of our failure. Let me say that again. The life of Joseph, it illustrates God's failure, I mean God's faithfulness. (laughs) God's faithfulness, faithful. I know, preach it. It illustrates God's faithfulness in the midst of failure. I think we all go through times when maybe we felt like a failure. Or maybe you've come to this place today and you're feeling like a failure or you've failed in the past. See, the enemy, Satan, he works in failure. He tries to destroy us with failure. But Joseph is so predominant in that book because God's trying to illustrate that in the midst of that, his faithfulness will arise if we will allow it. His faithfulness will come through this if we will surrender this. And one of the things I love about Joseph is that he was a dreamer. And today as we walk through this, as today as we walk through this, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will begin to bring alive some of those dreams in us. Some of those things that maybe you've not given yourself permission to dream. Or maybe you had a dream and you shared it and somebody tried to suppress it. My prayer is that through this series that those dreams will be awakened and that they will come alive as we look at the life of Joseph. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you will turn to Genesis 37. It's the 37th chapter in the Bible. Genesis 37. Some of you got that, all right? Genesis 37. And we're going to look, we're going to focus in on verses 2 to 10. 2 to 10. And it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the son of his father's wives, Bilah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. How many narcs we got out there, all right? <laughs> Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream. 
And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. How many of your siblings said that to you one time? His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream. (laughs) Of course. And again, he told his brothers about it. He said, listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars, he had 11 brothers, bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Hmm. So we have this young man, Joseph, 17 years old, given this dream. And today, as we quickly look through this, I think there's, there's three things I want us to kind of focus on. I want us to focus in first on the dream, the element of the dream. What does the dream mean? And then secondly, we need to look at the path. What is the path that God is leading us on? Because every dream has a path, doesn't it? And then thirdly, I want us to focus in on what is the lesson? What is the lesson that God would speak to us today? So it's the dream, then it's the path to that dream. And then thirdly, what is the lesson that we need to receive from that? Amen. How many of you are ready to receive that today? How many dreamers? Bring it. Here we go. I'm going to bring it now. So first, let's start about the dream. See, Joseph, he had a future dream. See, God is writing a story in all of us. And every life, the thing about our testimonies that I love is that when I talk to people and I hear the story, I feel like it's this novel being unfolded. Have you ever experienced that? That the, 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 the more you live in this life and the more you look back, it's almost like this novel is being unfolded. I think that's the power of a testimony. See, every life has the makings of a great novel. And dreams are valuable when they are from God. See, dreams from God, they give us direction, they give us encouragement, and they give us hope when times are difficult. So many times that I've come through some hard times in my life or I've come up against a wall, God has put a dream in my heart and he's brought that to life. And he said, don't forget the dream that I've given you. Don't forget the dream. Don't forget where I'm calling you. See, this is the value of a dream. And the dream that Joseph had is that he dreamed that one day he would rule his family. It's a pretty big dream. Now, it's important when we have dreams that we assess that dream. And assessing the dream is very similar to how we assess the voice of God, right? You know that every voice coming at you is not God, right? That we need to know his word. Because God will never say something that is in conflict with his word. This is the inspired word of God. He will never conflict this. We prepare our lives in such a way that we are surrendered to God so that we empty ourselves of everything else so that we can hear him clearly. And there's so many more things. And, and I've done some sermons in the past. on I'll be doing some sermons again on the future because that's a huge topic. But it's so important that we know and we understand the voice of God. And this helps us in understanding, is this dream of God? But we need to ask, we need to ask that. But in looking at this dream, when Joseph got this dream, he was excited. I mean, wouldn't you be excited? You got two dreams. You believe they're from God, and in both those dreams, your family is going to be led by you. 
And it's the young brother, the 11th brother. See, see, Joseph, he knew his dream, and it was clear what was being said in it. He didn't have a problem understanding the big concept of it. But Joseph, he needed a greater connection to, the, to his present reality. See, he had a dream, but his dream, it was a future dream, wasn't it? I mean, imagine your younger sibling coming in and saying, I had a dream. And said, I'm in charge, baby. And that you're going to bow to me. Not only that, mom and dad are going to bow to me. Are you, are you ready for that dream? You're ready to make it a reality. See, he knew the dream, but he was not anchored in what was going on. See, he was not fully aware of how he was viewed by his family. And I think a lot of times we have this problem that we'll, we'll bring in a dream, we'll bring in something, and we think people are ready to accept it. But his family was not ready to accept it. See, he thought that the dream would be great news, and he could not be any more wrong. See, there was a lot of animosity in his brother's life toward him. And here's why. And it says here in his verses, it says that, Je that Joseph was favored by his father. Now, when you have a sibling that is favored by your mother or father, does that bring you closer to that sibling? No. <laughs> Not unless you're trying to manipulate a relationship which is dysfunctional and wrong. And, and that's another part of the Bible. Okay? But when you come in and you see someone who's in favor and that they have this, it creates great animosity. He was favored by his father. And it, and it was also seen in the fact that he gave him this coat of many colors. Right? For those of you, maybe you've seen the Broadway musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Coat. His father gave him this beautiful coat. It was not a common coat, and it was not a coat that was made for work. See, in those days, having a robe was common, but the robe that you wore for work, it was often shorter. It didn't go down to the ankles because when you got this big robe on, it's pretty hard to do what I did yesterday. Yesterday, I spent three hours on my roof trying to get moss off of it, okay? I was not wearing a robe while I was doing that. He gave him a robe that was not made for work. It was a robe that was made for leisure. It was a robe that was made to set him apart. It was a robe that was almost this, this, this uh, elevated him to this place of importance. This was a very expensive robe. See, Joseph and his father, they were unaware of the level of the brother's jealousy and hatred. And I think a lot of it had to do with the passivity that was in Jacob's parenting. See, Jacob, he was a passive parent. And Jacob's home has been described by uh, Charles Swindoll as a home that was filled with angry, jealous, and deceitful people. Imagine that. You have this passive parent, and as a result, you have this home that is so obvious that there's one brother who's favored. And it creates this angry, deceitful place. Charles Wendell goes on to say that no enemy is more subtle than passivity. See, passivity, it only blinds us to the here and now, and it makes us inconsistent. See, Jacob had no idea that by sending out Joseph to go out to his brothers, that he would be putting them in, that he would be putting his favorite son in danger. He would have never done it. If he had any idea of the amount of danger that he was sending him out to, he would have never done it. It was this disconnection from his family, this disconnection from the anger and from the hatred that was going on. See, he thought he was sending his brothers out, his, his youngest son, his uh, 11th son, not his youngest son, there was a 12th. But he thought he was sending Joseph to a place that he would be welcomed as a part of the brotherhood. When in reality, his brothers were plotting how to kill him, how to take his life. Had no idea. See, Joseph's brothers, they were not ready to put it mildly. 
they were not ready to hear the dream that your younger brother will one day be in charge. Now, there was a lot of dysfunction happening there. But I think a lot of times when we have dreams and we put them out there, we need to recognize that people are not always ready to hear the dream. And a lot of times we don't even fully understand the dream. And a lot of times it's because sometimes we try to put people in a box, right? You're from this place, that means you do this. You had this upbringing, you do this. Or there's no way that you could do this. Even in all the testimonies and the stories that we hear of people overcoming their circumstances, still we fall prey to placing people in a box. This is all you will be. And I think we've all experienced that. I know I've experienced that in my life where I've had people that would place me in a box. But do you know what God does? God breaks the box. He, he colors outside the lines. Look at creation. He looks at you and he says that, as a matter of fact, that the weaker you are, the more my strength can be perfected in you because you're leaning on me. You're trusting in me. But Joseph, he was not connected to that. See, dreams occur before we are ready. Sometimes we hear this dream and we think that we're ready to start going out in this. Okay, my family, I had this dream. You're all going to bow before me someday. Why don't we start practicing right now? Let's start practicing my leadership skills. Go ahead. Go ahead and bow before me. See, he had the dream, but nobody was ready for the dream, including Joseph. See, Joseph, he ended as a mighty leader, second in command only to Pharaoh, but he began as what many commentators refer to as a young and arrogant young man. See, Joseph, he wasn't ready, and neither was his family. It didn't negate the dream, but it brought us to this next part, that we have the dream, but we also need to be aware that there's a path. There's a path that brings us from the dream to reality. There's a journey that we have to go on. Every, germ, every dream, it has a path. See, we don't wake up in our dream, do we? We wake up from our dream. When we're asleep, that's when we have the dream. But then when we wake up, what are we confronted with? Reality. There's an instant reality check. See, I've had dreams where I've been, like, I've been climbing the highest mountain. I've been paddling the rapids going in. But when I woke up, was I on the mountaintop? No. When I woke up, was I paddling? No. If I woke up and I was paddling the rapids, something went wrong. I mean, I, I fell asleep in the rapids, and that's dangerous. Okay? We don't wake up in our dream. We wake up from our dream. See, it's when we wake up that that real work begins. See, Joseph knew that he would one day lead. But what he didn't know is he didn't know how to lead. He didn't have all the skills. Does a 17-year-old have all the skills that are needed to lead? especially being second in command of Egypt. He didn't have all the skills. He didn't even know where he would lead. His dream didn't talk about Egypt. And he didn't know when he would lead. He had this dream, but he didn't know the skills that were needed. He didn't know where it would happen. And he didn't know when it would happen. Joseph didn't even know how to get ready for this dream. There is no community college course out there on how to go from obscurity to second in command of Egypt. That course does not exist. There's a path, there's this process going through. See, success, it's not about arriving at our dream. Success is about walking in obedience towards the dream that God has given us. Just reaching a destination, that's not about success. There are many that they've tried to fast track it and they've tried to get to the destination as fast as possible because they thought that was a dream. And when they got there without the preparation, with everything needed, do you know what they found instead of their dream? They found a nightmare. They found, so, they found them arriving at a destination, but they weren't ready. They didn't put in the work. And now they're not ready for the dream that God has given them because they tried to bypass this process. 
See, this process of being prepared and preparation, this is a thread through all leaders. And when you find people that they rise to leadership without this preparation, without this process that God brings them through, they find themselves in a situation that they can't handle. And their life begins to crumble as they begin to try to hold this dream around them. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you've tried to jump into something that you weren't ready for at times. I've seen this happen in every area. I've seen people try to step into areas musically that they weren't quite ready for. And then all of a sudden they realize, you know, I need to be practicing my scales more. I've seen people try to get up and, and, and to talk to people that they, they hadn't done the preparation for it yet. And they find themselves stumbling over themselves. They find themselves miscommunicating. They find themselves wanting to run away and never be a speaker again. Where No, it's a process. There's a process. There's a path here that is involved. See, obedience is success, not the destination. And you've heard me say that many times. A lot of times we confuse the destination with success. But obedience, our obedience to God, this is where we find our success. This is where we find it. It's in pure obedience, allowing God to do that. And this is difficult because we have the formula messed up. And oftentimes when we look at the life of obedience, we find that the path that we're on is often a series of ups and downs. We go up. And we go down, much like a roller coaster, right? How many of you love roller coasters today? How many of you are like, I hope and pray to God I'd never get on a roller coaster again? <laughs> Some of us, we the roller coaster and we're like, yeah, I can't wait. And others, you get on a roller coaster and you're fearful. You're going, where's the barf bag for this thing? I lost my brain on the last roller coaster I was on. But this is what the path often looks like. There's flat times. And there's times that we're slowly going up. And then we're going down fast. And then we're doing swirls. And we're doing all kinds of stuff. See, this is what the path is like. And Joseph's path, which is much like our path, it is a series of up and down and upside down. And you're all over the place. See, God gave Joseph a huge dream that he would one day be ruler. So he needed this process. How many of you feel like you're kind of in this process right now? That God's preparing, you're going, why am I going up? Why am I going down? Why am I being turned all around? See, this is the process that God's had for us. Let's look at Joseph's life. See, Joseph, he started on the up. Everyone say up. Up. Okay, I don't think about the balloons. He started up. He was a favorite son. He walked in this life in a, in a position of favor, the favorite son. But he went from up. What comes after up? Down. He went down. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. And his father was told by his brothers that he was dead. Is it hard to believe that brothers would lie to their dad? He was placed in an unknown country, an unknown culture, an unknown language. And he was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard. This is an elite group, a fierce military man, the chief executioner, a, a man that nobody would mess with, a man who had power over life and death. This was his slave owner. Going from a position of being favored, his brothers hate him, and they sell him to slavery, and they sell him to this man who has the power of life and death. It's a down. But what comes after down? You go up. See, it's, the Bible says that God was with Joseph, and Joseph is, because of who he is and because of his trust for the Lord, he's now placed in charge over Potiphar's household. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He's gone from the slavery now to finding favor with Potiphar over his entire household possessions. But what comes after up? He goes down again. Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph, and she makes a move on him. But Joseph, because he's a man of integrity, what does he say? He says, no. And he says two things in that no. He says, one, I will not sin against or go against 
Potiphar, and I will not sin against my God. And this brought him to a big down to where he was falsely accused because of his integrity, and then he was placed in jail. Can you imagine that? You did the right thing. You thought you were in a place where things were going to be turning around for you. And then this happens. You do the right thing. You're falsely accused. And now you're in jail. But what comes down after down? You go up. Because of his skills and because of who he was, the warden recognized that. And the warden places him in charge in jail. Can you imagine that? Think about all the ups and downs that have just happened yet. He's not ruler yet. But he's had all these ups and downs. So he goes to prison, dark place. The warden sees what's inside of Joseph, and he places him in charge. But what comes after an up? Down. You guys are good. Okay. Joseph, he interprets the cupbearer's dream. And he thinks, maybe this is my chance, okay. I love being in charge of the jail and all, but I don't want to be here forever. This is not the dream I had in mind. And what does the cupbearer do? The cupbearer forgets. He forgets about Joseph. But what comes after down? Up. See, the Pharaoh had a dream. Now the Pharaoh's dreaming. And he has this dream where seven scrawny cows eat seven healthy cows. And seven shriveled heads of grain were swallowed up by seven healthy heads of grain. And none of Pharaoh's musicians or his wise men could interpret this dream. And so in the middle of it, now all of a sudden the cheap cupbearer, his memory is restored. He's like, wait a minute. I know a guy named Joseph who knows how to interpret dreams. And he tells the Pharaoh about it. And Joseph comes in and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And he says this. He says that what it means is that there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. And famine will destroy the land. And then he goes on and he gives some advice. Okay, so Joseph is starting to kind of feel, feel a little good right now. He gives some advice. He says this. He said, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the good food that is produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, the famine will destroy the land. That's a pretty well thought out plan, isn't it? Do you think Joseph was thinking about how he would stand before the Pharaoh? See, this brings him to a big up. Because the Pharaoh responds in this by looking at him and says, you want me to find a wise man? I pick you, Joseph. I pick you, Joseph. And he pulls them out of jail, out of prison, and he puts them second only to the Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Do you have any idea how huge this is? Do you have any idea how big this is? Think about all the ups and downs that were happening in Joseph's life. From favor to wanting to be killed by his brothers. But they sell him instead, and they put him in slavery. Goes to Potiphar's house, gains favor there and comes up. His wife makes a pass at him, he refuses, and he's falsely accused, and he goes to jail. All these ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, and now he finds himself second in command at Egypt. Can you imagine trying to orchestrate this plan? Can you imagine looking at a child's life and saying, someday you're going to be second in command, I'm going to get you ready, given these circumstances? 
given the dysfunction that was in the family, given all these things. See, there's no way that anyone but God could orchestrate this. There's no way that anyone else could orchestrate this. Getting him there. See, Joseph, he needed a path for preparation. And when I look at the things that God does in our life, one of the things that stands out to me is how God custom makes plans for us. It's pretty hard to find two people that the plans were identical. Now, they may be similar. There's similarities in that it comes back to obedience and faithfulness to God. But how we got there and the ways that it went out, what an amazing father. A good father who looks at us and he custom crafts everything for you. Because he knows you. Because he made you. This is what he did in Joseph's life. See, when we look at this dream, we need to recognize that there are dreams in our life that are way beyond us. And when we look at God-sized dreams, they have God-sized characteristics. See, God-given dreams, they're God-sized, which means they're bigger than you. They're a lot bigger than you, and oftentimes they're scarier than you. And if God has given you this big dream that you're not a little bit scared, I don't think you're fully seeing it. See, God-given dreams, they require God's provision because you don't have it. I don't have enough. You don't have enough. When God gives you a dream, it requires his provision to come in and provide for it. And not only that, God's dreams, it requires God's power in it because you're not powerful enough. I'm not powerful enough. See, a God-given dream, it is also for God's fame because it brings glory to him. Along the way, when Joseph was asked questions, he kept deferring to God. When Potiphar's wife made advances at him, what did he say? He said, I will not sin against God. Now, he had to have known what that would mean for him potentially. That by him refusing and by him saying, I will not sin against God and I will not go against Potiphar. He knew there would be ramifications on that. But yet he would not allow his character to be compromised. So as we wrap this up today, what is the lesson from this? See, the lesson in this is the big lesson in everything in Scripture. The lesson that we need to learn is that in every situation, we need to trust God no matter where you are. Maybe you're in an upswing right now and you're going, life is good. Life is going forward. Or maybe you're in a downswing. Or maybe you look over the past month and it's got a curly cue going on and you're upside down and you don't even know what's going on. You don't know if you're going up or you're going down. How many of you don't know if you're going up or going down right now? You're just like, I'm just swinging and holding on. <laughs> we need to recognize in every situation that what we need to hold on to is God. We need to hold on to God in every situation. See, favor is not what happens to me in the moment. Favor is about who is with me. And I think that's why it says in the psalmist that even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. That's not just a pretty poem that was written. That was written out of the experience of life. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm going up and down, even though the dream that I believe God gave me is not walking out right now, I'm not going to fear any evil. I'm not going to fear anything that the Satan throws my way because I know you're with me. And that's all I need. My favor is not found in what happens to me. My favor is found in who happens to be with me. It's that leaning into God in all that we do. See, God is present for the entire journey, for the entire journey. And we need to be careful that our position on the path does not affect our proximity to God. See, God is everywhere. His glory, it fills the earth. 
But a lot of times we go through these difficult times and we start to close ourselves down and we start to walk away and we start to not trust God with something. Or we start to make compromises in our personal life. Or we start to try to reach out to other things that we know God would not want us. He's like, God, I tried that and I'm still heading down. These are the times more than anything we need to recognize that God is with us. That God is with us. That no matter what happens, though he slay me, yet I will praise him because all I want to be is with God. All I want to be is with God. We know that God does what? He works all things to the good for those who are called according to his purpose who love him. We are walking with God in every situation. And a lot of times we forfeit so much for so little. You know, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says that we're so happy just to be playing with mud pies in the dirt where there's a, when there's an ocean, a beach that is waiting for us that God is bringing us to. We need to be willing to get up and to run to the ocean that God is placing out in front of us. But it comes down to that trust. It comes down to that obedience. Are we willing to walk with him? Because, see, when we walk with God, nothing can destroy the dream. I don't control the timing of the dream. I don't control when it's going to happen. There's only one thing that God has given me that I have control over. Do you know what that is? It's the ability to say yes or no. That's the only thing I can... I have control over because God doesn't force his will. God's not going to force a dream on you. But he's going to ask you, you want to walk in this dream? Do you want to trust me that whatever is happening, that I'm going to work it for your good? Are you going to trust me that it might take a long time? Do you know that if you look at downtown Seattle before the sky rises go up? You can bank on it that the longer that they spend on the foundation and the deeper they go in that foundation, the taller that building's going to be. It's a fact, isn't it? The bigger the building God's going to be building in your life, the deeper he's going to go. And along the way he's saying, are you going to trust me that when I come to a big rock in there that we're going to get rid of that rock and it may take some work. It may take some time. We may need to blow some things up to get rid of that. But are you willing to trust me and to walk with me in this? See, I think one of the lessons about Joseph that as we walk through, that in each step of the journey, his gifts were being formed. Did you see what was happening? What did they look to when he was in prison? He had great administrative skills. So they put him in charge. When he landed in Potiphar's house, Potiphar saw the great administrative skills that he had, the leadership that was within him, and he placed him in charge. At each step, and at each step it was tested. Pharaoh's wife went against him. He had people in jail that once they got out, they just forgot about him. But each step along, he remained faithful, faithful to God, faithful to God. He knew that everything works out. And here's what he said. Here's what he said to his brothers when they showed up. See, if it were me when my brothers showed up after everything that happened, being second in command of Egypt... I mean, wouldn't you just like to kind of mess with them a little bit? Kind of play with them a little bit? But here's what he said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. He said, look, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God meant it for my good. And he forgave them. Do you think Joseph would have been ready to forgive them early in the journey? I don't know. But he came to this point of the ups and the downs, seeing what God was doing, seeing the faithfulness of God and saying, 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. I want to be with you in every situation. This is the journey that he has for us. Everything works out with God. Everything works out. Amen? Amen. If you're able to stand, would you just stand with me this morning? And if you can't stand, just be seated. Or if you're even processing, just be seated. Let the posture of your heart be one before the Lord, saying, Lord, here I am. Here I stand, Lord. Here I stand, Lord, before you. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Maybe as you heard this today, you're wrestling with the whole aspect of a dream. That there's a dream that's been placed in your heart, but you feel it. It's just not working. Speak to the Lord and say, Lord, is this dream from you? Is this one that you want to stir in me? What are you dreaming about? Think about the path that you're on. How are you handling that path? The ups and the downs. Sometimes when we're going up, we can say, yes, we're on track. And then we're going down, we're going, no, we're not on track. <laughs> and the ups and the downs, are you leaning into the Lord and saying, whatever position I'm on the track, I'm still with you, God. Are you trusting God in all of your circumstances? That when those temptations come, your response is, I will not sin against my God. I will trust you. I will trust you. Amen. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I want to encourage you just to take some time just to process this. We have our prayer team members. They're going to go off to the sides, both on the floor as well as up top. And if there's something resonating in you, let me encourage you to either go to one of these prayer team people or, or just turn to the person next to you and say, you know what, there's a dream in my heart. And maybe you're confused about it or maybe you're discouraged about it or maybe you, you, you see great things happening and you want to share it with somebody. Invite them to, to join you in praying with you. Or maybe you're being tempted. Maybe you're walking in something right now and you're being tempted. And you need strength to overcome. See, part of us gathering together today is to encourage one another. And it revolves around this aspect of the dream. Allow the people around you to engage with you. And to encourage you. And to walk with you. Let's, let's just take a few moments to respond. And allow the Lord to speak to us today. Amen.